0: Robins at the gate with Sky Sports and Five Lives Michelle Owen. Proudly sponsored by Mansion Bet, your favourite place to bet. Get £20 in free bets when you join today and bet £10 on any sport. Always bet on red with Mansion Bet. New customers only. Minimum first bet of £10 at odds of evens or greater from a UK debit card. For 5 £5 free bets valid for seven days. Full terms at mansionbet.com. 18+. plus. Be gamble aware. Hello and welcome along to Robbins at the Gate with myself, Michelle Owen, and Gregor McGregor, of course, from Bristol Live after a dismal Easter weekend for Bristol City. The Stoke game and the Coventry defeat, just two really bad defeats, two really bad performances. Um, what is the fanfare around Nigel Pearson? And the big revelations from Steve Lansdowne this week as well. Um, are we actually seeing how good Lee Johnson is with the job he's doing at Sunderland? And we look ahead to Forrest this weekend. Uh, hello, Gregor. So, yeah, let's start with Stoke again. we were both out on Friday. Just, wow, another really uninspiring performance, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I actually forgot that. Yeah, we had the game on Good Friday, <laughs> didn't we, first? Yeah, another loss, unfortunately. And I just find it unbelievable that we've had seven defeats in a row at Ashton Gate. That really has got to say something about, unfortunately, this group of players, the club where it's at at the moment, maybe the management situation as well, and a whole lot more. And we're going to come on to the Steve Lansdown interview, I Mm. I know, in a minute. And that's pretty big as well. And it kind of all ties together. The last few weeks, I have been so positive about Bristol City's future. Mm. But just right now, I think there are a lot of questions for the club and it really does start right from the very top. And I think they need to get themselves sorted out. There's, it's, a, it's one heck of a mess there at the moment. And it's getting worse week by week. And Bristol City are, are not safe from relegation just yet. I think they still need at least one more result. And the way that, in fact, Rotherham, uh, obviously they lost actually yesterday heavily against Wickham, but the way that Wickham are picking up results, Rotherham have got those games in hand still, so they might still do it. Sheffield Wednesday with an incredible result. Mm. It's 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 getting interesting down the the bottom there. But I do think Bristol City will be safe. But yeah, Stoke. It was just another really flat performance at home. It was lit up by a piece of brilliance by Stephen Fletcher. Mm. But yeah, I mean, just really poor defending for for the first goal. And the first goal does does make such a crucial difference. And yeah. <laughs> it's got to be so hair-raisingly terrible to watch for City fans at the moment and I really do get it.
0: Yeah, really bad and Although we're fortunate to be at Ashton Gate, I just imagine what the atmosphere would be like if the fans were there. Only one shot on target against Stoke. But Stoke, just being clever with that free kick, really good free kick routine, made the space to draw the wall out and a fantastic f- uh, finish from, from Fletcher. And and the contrast was Naki Wells falling on his backside when he tried to take a free kick the other end. Like I say, just the one shot on target against Stoke. Dismal performance, uh, credit to Stoke. But yeah. Coventry, um, we sorry. Go on, Gregor. Did you have a final? Oh, well, that I, game? I just, I, I think linking across both games,
1: we've we've seen so many defensive errors. We've seen That's what I was about to say. Days. Coventry
0: defensive errors. Yeah. It's just, and that was a yeah. free kick against Stoke that didn't need to be given away. By the way, I know it happens. I know it does. But the defensive errors, Gregor, that you saw yesterday in the Coventry game, oh, it's just. I mean, the penalty. I think maybe there was a little bit of debate around it, but for. Victor Jokerez for Coventry to score against you that's not great because uh, I've seen him play a few times this season. He was on loan at Swansea to start with, and then he's gone on loan um, to Coventry, who have been struggling, and he's only scored two goals. So it's, it's just so poor, these defensive areas. It's, it's um, I guess, um, an indication of where the confidence is in the team. But again, only three shots on target, Gregor. There's just no spark. There's nothing, is there?
1: Yeah, they got some real problems. Um, the defensive errors are the other thing for me because we haven't seen like too many of them over the, the course of the entire season. But we just seem to be seeing a lot at the moment. Of course, Dan Bentley's made a few errors in the last few home games but we've seen a few uncharacteristic errors from the more senior players just recently. Tommy Rowe came back into the side, didn't he, to play against Stoke, and um, caught horribly out of position oh, yeah. for that long ball, just a long over ball head, over yeah. the top of him. And and then there were, it didn't seem to be the hugest amount of urgency to get back, stop Jacob Brown from crossing. Nick Powell, okay, decent first shot, saved. Uh, sorry, Mari, sorry, not Mari, it comes up Mariapa, doesn't it? I, that goes down as an error for me because Mariappa has got to do better than that at first initial clearance. When when I saw that, I sort of I, I was in the press box and I just audibly let out a sort of no because it was just <laughs> it, 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 because I just knew what was coming next. Pal Pal puts it away. He's a good player. You uh, can't give him that kind of yeah. chance. But it well, was very yeah. similar. It was very similar to the Deju one just a couple of weeks ago in his own box yeah. and I can't remember, I forget who that was against, but it was exactly the same situation, a poor first touch in in the box and it just sets up a, a big chance for the opposition and those don't get missed, so especially by a player like Powell.
0: Tell me then, um, and this is something asked on, on Twitter, Gregor, um, tell me what the big difference is since Nigel Pearson came in, because he said himself in his post-match interview, you know, he's being asked about his future all the time, but there may not be a future to ask ask, ask about if he carries on with the results going the way they are. I asked on Twitter, we had um, we had a couple of tweets back about this. Steve Long said, "We're still in trouble for sure." I'll also add, I'm slightly disappointed with Pearson, regardless of the state of our squad. I expected to see some improvement, but I'm not seeing that. It's no different than under Dean Holden, and uh, Richard said, "This is." the most collectively disinterested team I've seen in almost 40 years of watching City, not Pearson's fault. This has been coming for a couple of seasons. I hope he's got the stomach for a challenge as I can see him walking for a less stressful job. I don't see any difference between this team and the performances they're putting in and the team that was playing under Dean Holden, if anything, I'd go as far as saying they're slightly worse. Yeah, (laughs) Nigel Pearson had that great result in his first game actually in charge against Swansea, and that was fantastic. It was a great result. And the Birmingham win away was fantastic. But apart from that, it's not been great. And, And Nigel Pearson would say himself, he said himself after the game, so we're not speaking out of turn here, that it's not good enough. And he said a few times the squad's not robust enough and about the injuries. But tell me what the difference is between him and Dean Holden, because if there's no difference, why did they get rid of Dean Holden? And if they do really want Nigel Pearson, we've seen the comments from Steve Lansdowne um, over the last few days that he hasn't actually even met Nigel Pearson in person yet.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think there is a difference between the football being played now and the football we saw earlier in the season under Dean Holden, I I think that Dean Holden would have got those couple of results uh, that Nigel Pearson did get. Eventually, they would have come out of nowhere, but football doesn't run like that. And I think probably the club did do the right thing in making the change in manager because, of course, they got those instant results at Swansea and Middlesbrough, and probably that's going to be enough to keep them up because. If they didn't get those, then they would really take six points off. They're really mm-hmm. in the in the in the mix for relegation, and the way they're playing and the injuries they've got, I think they, they would have been a big chance that they would have gone down, which is just absolutely crazy. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we've we've discussed this at length, but the reasons for that are mainly the injuries because I, I mean, I've just gone through online actually a, a team that they could have played today if they had everybody fit. And it's a it's a it's a really good team. They, you've got a full a full side there: De Silva, Mawson, Baker, Pring, Williams, Walsh, Patterson, O'Dowd, and Martin and Vyman. And it's that's in, not including. It's incredible.
0: It's it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And and I just wonder. I still don't think we've had enough answers about what on earth is going on. It's not. No, normal. We, haven't. we haven't. It's not normal. And, and you, you yeah, can say condensed right. season, and you can say. Um, you know, too many games in, in a short space of time and there is definitely weight in that but why is not every squad decimated?
1: Yeah, and Liam Walsh is the latest obviously oh. he, he was back and then he, he was missing for this game at Coventry and I had the, the local reporters there were asking me about Walsh because obviously he was so good for them last season mm. what's happened to him and again, that is just another mystery it's just absolutely bizarre how, how he's come back for a couple of games and then he's out and we don't know how long he's out for. I did ask about Liam Walsh after the Stoke game and Nigel Pearson promised to keep us updated. There was there were no further updates on Monday, pre-Nottingham Forest press is on Thursday, so I expect we'll hear more then. But you're right, it, it's it's a, a dreadful situation and the bedrock of why the season has fallen away. But then also, I think there are questions about the quality of the squad. First, firstly, in terms of how good these players really are, and if if you said that that first eleven I've just said there were available, I think you could add on a fair few points to this side, and they'd be mid table safely. But then you take all those guys away, and I don't think the squad has got the depth there, or we've seen it that that they're able to dog out results and 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 fight to get enough points. And that was the major problem at Coventry yesterday. There just wasn't enough fight. Coventry really. Um, were, were miles more competitive first to the ball won every duel they just wanted it yeah. more they
0: just looked like they wanted it they more did. and yeah. I feel like Nigel Pearson yeah. came in and gave them a bit of a wake up call in those first two games okay he wasn't actually in charge for Borough but we know he had a word or two and then Swansea when he had everyone together on the pitch at the end of the game it really looked like there was a change of foot but two wins and a draw from seven games if it was Dean Holden yeah, just- people wouldn't be happy
1: yeah, just I just want to add as well that momentum is so big in football, both upwards and and downwards. Mm. And this team is just looking short of confidence. We've seen errors from Calas yesterday, obviously the penalty. We saw another big error from Tommy Rowe, and he hasn't done too much. He's had actually a good season, so he's done two. That's, that's two mistakes from him in the two last two matches it was a dreadful back pass just, to set Coventry on the break for the for the final third goal and. Yet again, they haven't been able to um, deal with set pieces. A 20th goal conceded from a set piece, which is way, way more than anyone else. Next, next team is 15, and that's Rotherham. So you're talking about 25% more than any other side, which is a, a huge, huge weakness. Every team will be looking at that and, and, and trying to profit from it. And, and that goes back to the makeup of the squad. This squad doesn't have enough, physicality about it it can't deal with corners throws into the box it can't deal with aerial balls well enough there isn't um, there aren't en- enough natural defenders in the side or, or who can win enough duels at championship level and this is something I th- that isn't particularly new I, uh, we, we said at the beginning of the season that we thought that they were going to be short of their aspirations for top six because they didn't have enough quality in the squad and I think we're seeing that now
0: yeah you weren't wrong on that one Gregor um, Steve Lansdowne then Um, did this interview that we've looked into and what one, there was a line that caught my eye about Nigel Pearson's appointment. And he said, I thought we might buy ourselves some time, if I'm honest with the appointment of the assistants, Paul Simpson and Keith Downing to take charge. But to be honest, that didn't work. And they admitted it as well. And they said, you need to appoint somebody quickly. Now they're still there. Okay. Um, Should they still be there? I know they're they're supposedly only there to, to the end of the season, but if you're going to do a big change, then should Nigel Pearson not have brought his own staff in? And and the person that fans feel that he may have worked best with is Craig Shakespeare, but he's busy at Aston Villa.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure that he'd be able to bring in Shaky. No, think, things are going very well for Villa at the moment. You're right. I it's obviously something they're going to consider over the summer whether he he keeps um, Keith Downing and Paul Simpson. No, and I'm not i I think i I do rate those guys they've had great success elsewhere and and the season did start well. I'm not too sure that they are part of the problem but but the the difficulty is that we don't know what happens day to day at the club, so that is something they'll have to decide on. I'm sure Nigel Pearson's got his own ideas, but then is Nigel Pearson definitely going to be there this is this is the thing, and I mean on the Steve Lansdowne interview that you're referencing. I just thought it was a little bit odd timing for a start. Great to hear from from the owner, though, and we probably don't hear enough from him. And, oh, we'd love to talk uh, to him.
0: I've 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 asked and, before if if he's around, but not had a response. So it was nice to sort of hear a bit more from him. I guess he's under no obligation. He can he can do as he chooses because he's he's the owner. But it was like you say, great to hear from him. And um, I work with Aston Villa quite a lot, and. We hear from Christian Perslow, the CEO, a couple of times a season for like a long chat. And Mark Ashton was doing a little bit more, wasn't he? But now he's disappeared.
1: Yeah, it seems to be a change of strategy from from the outside. That Obviously, Mark Ashton was very vocal last summer around the Dean Holden appointment, but now Steve Lansdowne seems to have been doing more. To be fair to Steve, he he came out and spoke around the recruitment process and now he's done this. So that is something. And at least we are hearing why some of the decisions are being made. And to be fair, there was a lot of honesty from him. And as you yeah. said there, yeah, saying about the, the assistance and that they hoped it would buy them a bit of time, that is tantamount to admitting that basically the, 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 the defeats led to them um, expediting the process and bringing in Nigel Pearson quicker. I thought it was interesting that he said that Nigel Pearson um, basically applied... For the role made it known that he was interested so Mm -hmm. it was a case of Pearson coming to the club rather than the club going to Pearson and the other main takeaways I took from it were were that obviously we've got to wait unfortunately for Steve Lansdowne to to meet Nigel Pearson in person and he suggested a a couple of weeks before maybe tying up a a longer term deal. Now again I wonder if the nature of the results recently is going to have the same impact and we might see that um, expedited and that m- maybe a contract might get sorted sooner rather than later because I can only see that it's harming the club at the moment. There's big decisions to be made on contracts, transfers, these things, you just can't wait and, and, and no matter what the, the, the club tells you, they, you can't wait on them. It damages you because other clubs will get in and, and get a, um, snap up other players, they'll, they'll snap up other staff members. It just brings some stability to everybody at the club. They know what's going to happen. And I think we, if it was all tied up, we might see that momentum which I was mentioning before just turn a little bit and head the other direction. Even just the slightest boost that might then lead to just a bit of positive, extra positivity on the pitch, uh, and then a result out of nowhere and turn it all around. So, yeah, I just think there's nothing to lose there. Um, yeah, and, well, and and the other th- thing was yes, so was just obviously it was a huge subject discussed as well is that the the succession planning he was asked about life after Lansdowne
0: yeah he said um as for succession it's always in my mind I'm not getting any younger and you never do he said I've been involved for 24 years this year 25 next Uh, John his son is very active and involved so immediate succession is there but I think he's honest enough to say that." not what he sees as, no, in his late 30s. He's not going to do that for the next 30 years. So we've got to look at getting new investment into the club and developing it and getting the right people in, in the right structure. So he went on to say um, that basically he is looking for more investors to come in and expand and, and grow the club because John Lansdowne, by the sounds of it, doesn't really want to take over.
1: Yeah, that's uh, see. I thought this was absolutely huge. Just we've heard from some people behind the scenes saying for a while that Steve Lansdowne has been looking for outside investment. I actually think that's why, if you remember back a few weeks ago, there was all that stuff about the Ipswich takeover and mm-hmm. there were some links to Mark Ashton and, and things like that in the in the media. I think that's come about a little bit because of. Um, the business behind the scenes that Bristol City are doing in terms of Steve Lansdowne looking for investment elsewhere. So, yeah, you're right. It doesn't sound like John Lansdowne wants wants to be in control and take the club on. So, yeah, we are starting to look at life beyond Steve Lansdowne. He's 70 next year. I don't think he will be in charge of the club for much longer than that. And he's admitted himself that he wants somebody else to come in. We we've asked our sources: is essentially is Bristol City Football Club up for sale? And they've they've come back to us very strongly and said that that is not the case. And fair play to Stevie, did say in their, that that um, he believes that the club can get to the Premier League doing it his way as they're doing at the moment. But he did say that it would be easier if they had new thinking and new money involved more investment mm. so I think it's interesting times for the club on and off the pitch and the timing of this is is maybe not the, not great for the club because there's so much instability anyway as regards Pearson so many players out of contract and as I was saying at the beginning of the pod really all this comes from the top and I think they've got to make some decisions they've got to get things in plan and um, and move forward
0: yeah, it's it was quite the revelation considering maybe one may have assumed wrongly that his son would just take over having been involved with the club for a few years anyway. Um, Are we seeing how good a coach Lee Johnson is? Because I know in his earlier days he had some tremendous talent at his disposal. Bobby Reed, Joe Bryan, just to name a couple that came through from the academy. Um, he's at Sunderland now and... They're going for automatic. He's taken them right up in League One. He could get his first promotion on his CV. They've had some great results. They're on a great run, a great unbeaten run at the moment, as well as winning the Papa John's Trophy final, sitting third in League One with a few games in hand. People wanted Lee Johnson out in the end, but did he do an amazing job with the players he had at his disposal?
1: I think the job that... Lee Johnson did at Bristol City is is not completely recognised by a lot Mm -hmm. of fans. Sometimes just treading water is an achievement, especially if you're not spending, especially if you're selling your best players and replacing them. That's the difficulty when you've got to always sell your best players and then reinvest because it's not always going to work out and it's very, very tough to, to find quality to come in and hit the ground running. That's the other thing. You might need to give these players a bit of time to settle. So... I think that's why we've seen Brentford get close each year, um, but not quite make it the last few years. And likewise, Bristol City have sort of remained in the, in the same sort of mid-table area of of the championship, selling their best players and and, and not being able to really, yeah, make that step up. With, with Lee Johnson, though, I, I mean, it is League One. That's the only thing I would say. And obviously. A lot of city fans would point to Steve Cottrell and you just can—you probably couldn't get a better season than than Cottrell had, and then yeah. comes up with Bristol City, and it—and it just falls away straight away. And um, obviously, a lot of people would would point out that Steve probably didn't get the the backing that he expected in the in the transfer market, and they obviously had deals lined up for players that didn't come to fruition that were, that were close to going through. So, obviously, that that summer, two thousand and fifteen. Is a, is a big one in in, in the club's uh, trajectory? Yeah,
0: definitely. yeah. And, I think people forget about it almost that uh, maybe it wasn't capitalized on enough in that moment. Yeah, don't don't get me
1: wrong. Lee Johnson's doing a great job at Sunderland, but I do think there is a quite a gap between championship and league one. And in fact, I, I remember Lee Johnson saying that to me himself that when we were discussing recruitment of players, I think we specifically we were talking about some Peterborough players at the time. Mm. It might have been um, some players. No, no, the striker who went from Derby County to sorry Peterborough to Derby County has been out of the the scene um, a bit. I can't can't remember. I'm not sure the name what you mean.
0: And now we're finish um, and you remember, and you be like, it's this person. <laughs> I'll,
1: I'll find it. But basically, the, the general point was that he, he thought there was such a massive jump from from yeah, essentially the third tier to, to the second tier, and you're just never completely oh, was sure. It Jack, was it Jack
0: Jack Marriott?
1: Yes, it was Jack Marriott, yes. that's right. And yeah, and he was being hawked about for big money. And we asked basically why he didn't have a, um, why he didn't go have for, a go, yeah, getting him. Yeah, I remember and that. He, I remember now. He called him a punt. He called yeah. him a punt. And I think, I think, um, basically, Darren McCanson, he took a little bit of offense at that. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there is, there's
0: there's definitely a, a difference in level. And I remember covering Bristol City in, in that 2014-15 season and, and I remember covering them when they were in League One. And, and yeah, like the championship is way better. But oh, watching Bristol City this year at uh, Ashton Gate, it's been depressing at times, hasn't it? You know, t- to watch them. And, and now, Gregor, they've got this home game on Saturday against Forest who you just mentioned the word momentum a few minutes ago. They've just had two massive results. Well, three, I guess, if you include the one before the international break, getting that draw with Brentford. But to beat Cardiff and then to beat QPR, they're now level with Bristol City in the middle of the table. They're one point behind them. And they've just pulled themselves out of trouble. But momentum is such a key thing. Seven games defeated at home and Nottingham Forest come into town and they've just won two on the bounce. I can only see this going one way at the moment.
1: Yes, me too. I think it's a bad time to play them. I think there's an interesting parallel with Forrest in terms of, remember last summer, Chris Hewton had an interview for this job, didn't he? He did. It was, it was the big storyline, wasn't it? Dean Holden or Chris Hewton. Now, looking back, I, I think realistically, I, I don't think the Forest squad is too different from the Bristol City squad. You've you probably got a better view than me on that, Michelle, because you, you watch more teams than I do in the mm. Championship. What, what do you reckon?
0: Well, this is squad depth, isn't it? And if you look at their their bench, actually on Saturday, their bench was pretty impressive. I, w- I would say it was stronger than Bristol City's. And um, they've got the likes of Lewis Graben up front, who I think is a great championship striker. Sammy Amiobi, who on his day can be terrific. They've got this great youngster, James Garner, on loan from Manchester United, who's brilliant, by the way. I would worry about him on Saturday. But if you look at their bench, um, Anthony Knockart on their bench didn't even come on. The experience of Glenn Murray, um, Luke Freeman, of course, and also Jack Colbach. And, and you know all those names straight away. You know who they are. So I think um, Nottingham Forest have a, have a slightly stronger squad than Bristol City in terms of, of depth. Um, but Chris Hewton hasn't done as well as people thought he would there by the way. Like he's, he's getting yeah. a song out of them now. He, he, had, he had a good period, then he had a bad period and, and now they're picking up a bit. But when, when I saw them having that bad period, I thought, well, you know, it's not, it's not a magic wand. He doesn't come in and wave a magic wand, although I do really rate him.
1: Yeah, um, just, just on the Forest squad, I quite like uh, Alex Mighton caught my eye yes. in the first game. Uh obviously only 18 on years old. Yeah, good a good young talent and uh obviously some guy called Lou Freeman there as well.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and yeah, just on shooting, you're right. And sometimes it takes a, a fair bit of time to sort these sort these the problems you've got out at a club. It's not a case of somebody arrives and, and then suddenly it all goes hunky-dory. It, 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 there's no magic wand. You've got you've got to basically build a squad, essentially. And that's what Nigel Pearson was talking about. In fact, Nigel Pearson gave, I think, probably one of his most revealing press conferences after that Stoke defeat, when he was discussing that it was going to take something like three, four, five transfer windows Mm -hmm. to get this team to a place where it can realistically compete to get into the Premier League. And he is not wrong. He is absolutely right with that. And the problem for me is that the, the, the noises coming out of the Bristol City hierarchy is that they want to compete for the top six now, but they've not got the squad for it. They've not no. got the depth there. They've not got the players. Um, there's a lot of problems here, <laughs> especially when you can't get your best players on the pitch. So, yeah, that, that's getting away from Forrest and, and the job that Houston is doing. But essentially, if Chris Houston had come in last summer, I don't think it would be too much different from where City are now and, for, and where Forest are either.
0: Yeah, ultimately, what I think what we're both saying is there needs to be some sort of overhaul over the summer. Barney, the dog in the background, I don't know if you can hear him. Uh, clearly <laughs> agrees. Um, so, just a little little nice story before we finish that that you had at the weekend when you're in the Coventry press box that caught your eye because I feel like we've not been very positive. But this made me laugh. Um, something you told me that you saw in the press box on Monday afternoon.
1: Yeah, I was surprised that the, the bloke next to me in the press box, another. Uh, Older journalists covering locally there, and he was running an electric heater next to him off one of the plugs there, which I thought was ingenious. And it was blooming <laughs> cold for, for April and sunshine. It was blooming cold up there, I can tell you, in the, in the pro- press box. Not looking for any sympathy here, but I thought <laughs> that was a, a clever move.
0: It was freezing. You had your bubble hat on Friday as well. Uh, But yeah, very clever. Nice to keep nice and toasty. But I know of uh, a story from a press box. I think it might have happened in Leicester where someone had one of those plug-in heaters and he spilled his cup of tea on it and it short-circuited everyone's equipment. But unfortunately he was sat near the ISDN guys and I think he destroyed a couple of kits and they are expensive pieces of kit. And uh, basically his outdoor heater um, broke quite a few people's day. And longer term equipment. So yeah. Careful if you're going to invest in one of those, Gregor. Don't spill your cup of tea on it. Um because you might end up in a few journalist bad books. So watch
1: out. Yeah. Watch watch out out what you do with your post-match bottle. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, So we'll hear from Nigel Pearson on Thursday. We'll keep an eye on your Twitter and Bristol Live for that to see what's said. And yeah, we'll look ahead to Saturday, fingers crossed, for, for some sort of miracle at Ashton Gate. This form has to turn around soon, surely. We'll be back next week to reflect on that and look ahead to Sheffield Wednesday as we enter the final straight of the season. Wherever you're listening to the podcast today, if you hit subscribe, you won't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Robins at the gate, proudly sponsored by MansionBet, your favourite place to bet. Always bet on red with MansionBet. 18 plus. Be Gamble Aware. Please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts.